This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, you're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Dafran Johan. In a 4-1 decision, the federal court bench rejected former Prime Minister Najib Razak's review application in the 42 million ringgit SRC international corruption case. This happened last week. Now, legally, this means Najib will remain behind bars. However, the days that followed have been a fracas to say the least. On the one hand, it seemed like Najib and his allies are unsurprisingly continuing to push for the release of the disgraced former Prime Minister as members of the Amno Supreme Council call for a royal pardon. On the other hand, reformist Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim and his coalition government are facing public scrutiny as they currently are in alliance with Amno. My guest on today's episode is Kevin Zhang. He's a senior research officer at the Malaysian Studies Program at the ICS Yusof Ishak Institute and we're going to be unpacking all of this. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Good afternoon, Dashran. Pleasure to be back on BFM. Pleasure to have you on again. What do you make of the political fallout over the past week or so since the federal court decision? So there, there's been a lot of, I guess, criticism on um, the recent uh, decision by uh, really, really on both sides, right? So on one hand, you have uh, Najib supporters claiming that uh, because of the dissent opinion given by one of the judges, you know, actually Najib deserves a retrial. On the other hand, there is also other opponents who uh, the other side of the coin saying that no, look, uh, a four-one is a clear sign that. Uh, you know, Najib is, uh, is, is guilty and there, therefore there is no room for further review of his case. I guess this has really um, been the, the hot topic in Malaysian uh, politics in the last uh, a week or so. And uh, what is interesting is that he has really galvanized Najib supporters uh, because there is that, you know, that slim hope of possibility that maybe his case will be revisited or retried again because of the dissenting judge. And I think this has been uh, really the folder and give them much ammunition for them to claim that, look, you know, not just uh, Najib is innocent he was denied of justice and it's, it's all focused on that one dissenting judge comments and statement which to be fair was actually made a point of technicality so if you look at uh the 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 courts uh the dissenting judge comments his point is is more like you know najibs was uh denied of free uh, fair trial because uh the lead counsel uh withdraw himself right and therefore najib was unrepresented so what's important to note is that even the dissenting uh, opinion was made based on the ground of technicality and not whether Najib was innocent or guilty in the uh, SRC case itself. Kevin, when you think about it, right, this should be fairly open and shut in the sense that it was a unanimous decision for one, with only one judge dissenting, like you um, pointed out. And what the judge said was um, rather technical. He said um, it was unfair for the former prime minister paying the highest price for the mistakes done by his counsel. So that was the one dissenting judge. But what I'm curious about, what I find very interesting, is how the conversation over the past couple of weeks have been very focused on that one dissenting judge or the one dissenting judgment, so much so that people, like, you don't hear the the, the, the 4-1 in conversations anymore, right? It's all about that one. Um, I'm wondering, Kevin, has Najib and his allies successfully shifted the narrative or shifted the goalposts um, with way too much focus now given on the one dissenting judgment, making it seem like he was denied justice? 
in, in a sense, this technique is not unexpected because mm-hmm. that is the only grounds for them to challenge the verdict, to challenge the... I mean, the, the, the important thing to note that this is not even the appeal, right? This is the review of the right. final verdict of SRC uh, trial. So, um, I mean, that is the only ground that they have, they can use it. So I, I guess it's not surprising that, you know, they, they really uh, bang on this uh, dissenting judgment as w- what you have mentioned. Uh, I'm not really sure whether they have really shifted the narrative though, because if you look at uh, the last general election, so obviously um, during 2018 to 2022, when Najib was under the SRC case, even after he was uh, convicted on his uh, by the high court, so even during the stage of uh, appeal process, there was many support uh, uh, for towards Najib, right? Particularly mm-hmm. if if, uh, if outside of the, the the Chinese community, I think there was some sizable support for Najib during his appeal process. But what you observed last year during the general election is that by the general election last year, Najib was already. Uh, convicted, uh, he's he exhausted his final appeal. Therefore, I think most Malaysians, regardless of Chinese, Malay, Indians, have actually moved on, accepted that Najib is guilty, and think that this case is closed. So, therefore, it's, it's a bit of irony that now um, the, the Najib's allies is trying to reopen the case. So, I think the majority of Malaysians has, just wants to move on from this case. You know, seeing as how um, no Supreme Council members um, are rallying behind their former president, Najib is clearly still an influential man in the old party. Um, but what about among the people, Kevin? There were a number of people crying outside the court. I think that's also unsurprising. We've seen that over the years. Um, but is that reflective of wider Malaysia? If you remember the case of Tengku Adnan, the former uh federal terrorist minister right. on the day where he was uh, facing his uh, trial in, in the high courts he actually gathered a lot of his supporters in Putrajaya to you know to, to support him as he was making the way to uh, the courts that day so um, it seems to be a Mal- uh, Malaysian practices to to have to arrange for supporters to you know show of support for, for the politician when even yesterday when uh, former chief minister of police uh, Aslan Man was in uh, Kanga High Court uh, you know there was also people that was supporting him at the, the outside the session courts building so it, it really seems to be a, a practice that that's what politicians like to, I, I don't know do you call it stage or is it like some genuine show of support but I would guess that it, we probably don't need to focus on too much on like how many people are there in outside the courtroom chanting or what. Probably, I guess a better sense is to look at uh, what maybe, for example, social media comments. I mean, the, the thing is that there's no polling on Dhamma Malika or what to, 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 to really ask people, you know, do you all think Najib is guilty or not? So we don't really have the good numbers, right, for that. Mm-hmm. But I think at the very least, you know, we can, uh, based on social media comments and, and or even like uh, comments on uh, news portal, and I think that uh, the, the number of support that, uh, you know, fervently believe that Najib is guilty seems to be on a downward trend, especially in the last one year or so, right? It wasn't as intense as what it was compared to like before the, the final verdict was announced. Right. Um, people have criticized the fact that I think and I think this is this is the more interesting part of the conversation, right? Um, since the fallout, people have criticized the fact that Anwar Ibrahim, the Prime Minister of Malaysia, is on the pardons board. But Anwar has said that he's not going to get involved and the final decision can only be made by the young Dipratuan Agong. But in politics, um perception matters. Um sometimes a uh, more perception tends to matter more than the facts, and and that's an unfortunate reality. I'm wondering if, and this is a big if, if Najib walks free, 
let's say within the next few months or year, what would be the impact on public perception towards this current government, this Karajan Madani? Certainly, if Najib ever works free and there's a non-zero possibility that that might happen, right? In Malaysia, I think everything is possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the the the, the current government, PHB and Unity government will lose all credentials of being a reformist or anti-corruption-based government. Uh, but I think what is also important is actually to uh, read the nuances within um, what's going on, the different statements by different politicians. So on one hand, you did mention that Anwar said that the final decision can only be made by the Agong. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, as you and, and the reason why Anwar is in the pardons board uh, is not because he's the prime minister, right? But because uh, he's the de facto uh, federal territories minister because right. federal territories is under the prime minister department. So basically, he's there under the because of his uh, de facto status as a uh, federal terrorist minister, and not because as PM. I think that's something that's important right. to them. Right. Uh, but also, on the other hand, Anwar also did mention that, yeah, he will make a decision because he is the power's board. So in that sense, there is a lot of legal ambiguity with, uh, and, and, and there uh, there's there, there's uncertainty who who actually holds the final decision. Because on one hand, like what you say seems to be the, Yang Dipetua Agong, but on the other hand, uh, it seems like the power board also has that collective decision-making ability which Anwar is part of. So I'm not sure what's the legal uncertainty going on. Uh, but uh, in, in in other words, I mean, it doesn't really matter who, who makes the decision. Uh, if Najib ever works free, uh, certainly the perception of this current uh, unity government would drop precipitously, right? Especially among the uh, the non-Malays who are basically the key supporters of this government because, you know, they want a clean government, a reformist government. I think all these uh, ideas will go off the window if Najib ever walks free. You know, Anwar keeps stressing that, um, and it's not just about this specific case, right? It's about everything that that, that has gone on, every MACC investigation. You know, whenever there is cries of foul play or whatnot, Anwar stresses that he does not get involved in any of the investigations, any of that, right? What he does is he just empowers each institution to function to the best of their abilities. And what he, this is according to him, right? What he says is, I'm not going to get involved. You're not going to get political pressure. Just do your jobs to the best of your ability. I'm wondering if the general masses, right, um, care about these nuances or do they just look at it from a big picture standpoint? And what I mean by that is, let's say during the Muhyiddin government or any other government as well, there were many uh, cases that went to court and then, um, you know, people got acquitted. And you get the sense from the ground, people blame the prime minister, whether the prime minister was directly involved or not. And that is the big picture that, that needs to be understood, right, by this government that, you know, perception matters. Yeah, exactly. And precisely as what you see, I think in Malaysia, especially when it comes to such kind of conviction or uh, acquittal, uh, the prime minister at the end of the day is seen as the man calling the shots rightly or wrongly. And I think there's also a reason for that is because, pre- I mean, ever since 1997, right. Reformasi, we have seen how the Back then, Tun Mahathir was the Prime Minister and Anwar was in jail because of sodomy and Anwar went to jail again the second time when Najib was the Prime Minister just before the Kajang move. And so I think the perception among Malaysians is that, you know, when you are in power, you will use the power for your own advantage, rightly or wrongly, there's a perception. And especially when uh, someone from the opposing side is convicted, right? So I, I think that's just how people perceive things to be. I think rightly you say so. Uh, because it is also important to... 
<coughs> to understand that uh, the the interesting fact about uh, Malaysia's uh, 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 prosecution is that <coughs> so if I if I can can refer to the the recent case that uh, just announced yesterday where Zahid wanted postponement of his trial, right? Right. Because of some new evidence in quotes in the commas, uh, and, and, and the prosecutions who did not object to the postponement of trial is that it creates a perception among the masses where, uh, you know, Zahid's trial proceeded. I mean, of course, there was some postponement, but it was more or less like proceeding on schedule uh, when uh, Mayuddin and uh, then uh, Ismail Sabri was the prime minister. But somehow, ever since, uh, you know, Anwar became prime minister last year, November, so actually uh, Zahid's trial was supposed to be... Uh, you know, re, re, resume end of last year, right? But right. because of uh, some reasons, it was postponed to April and now it's been, uh, just yesterday, the judge announced it will postpone right. again to August. So it's been postponed for, I mean, from November to, to, to maybe almost a year, right? Counting last year until this, this August. So I, I, that, I think that definitely creates a perception that why is it that now under Anwar and, and people know that Anwar and Zahid seems to be like mentor-mentee relations, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. So, People, there, there will be a perception, I think, inevitably, rightly or wrongly, that you know how, that oh, somehow his trial slowed down ever since Zahid, uh, sorry, uh, Zahid's trial slowed down ever since Anwar became PM. I think that's going to create some sorts of uh, uh, perhaps negative uh, perception among the masses, right, towards this government reforming credentials. Absolutely. And like you rightly pointed out, it, uh, it was reported yesterday that High Court has agreed to postpone um, AMNO President Zaid Hamidi's Yayasan Akalbudi trial as MACC seeks further investigation and the AG Chambers considers new facts. Um, in the months since the election, I think most have deduced that this is not an AMNO on reform mode. Um, this is an AMNO that has purged many of its candidates who dissented against uh, Najib and Zahid. Um, we are talking about the likes of Kairi Jamaluddin, Sharil Hamdan, uh, No Omar, uh, Hishamuddin Hussein, few, a, few, a bunch of them, um, some prominent leaders, some not so prominent. I'm wondering how challenging is it going to be for Anwar Ibrahim? to strike a balance between carrying out their reform agenda, the reform agenda that Pakatan Harapans has built their brand around since the 90s. You know, they keep chanting reformacy, they keep pushing the anti-corruption agenda and so on and so forth. How is difficult is it going to be for Anwar to strike a balance between that and also keeping his coalition partners happy and his coalition partners include Amno? Right, and certainly it's going to be a hard question when your coalition partners, including the party presidents, are himself is facing corruption trials. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting how you frame the question, right? You frame it about how 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 challenging is going to keep both sides happy. But I I I suspect the ground sentiment would because we we haven't really seen much statements coming from Amno that they are dissatisfied with, be it the appointments of GLCs of cabinet positions, uh, so. It's not that such dissatisfaction has not come before. Remember when uh, both uh, Prime, then Prime Minister Mayuddin and Ismail Sabri was Prime Minister, you had uh, factions within Amno say that you know how oh, you know we expected more kind of allocations, right, before GRC or ministers. But now for the last four months, you have but not, no no statements of that. Somehow, like Amno seems to be perfectly happy at least publicly. Uh, whereas on the other hand, there's uh, I think many Malaysians would feel that there has been uh, probably a bit too much of bending towards, you know, this uh, BN side or AMNO side rather. And uh, the reform agenda seems to be 
put out place on back foot. For example, um, I mean, of course, we, we had the recent, uh, sorry, uh, Malaysia had a recent budget table uh, about a month or so ago. Right. Uh, but if you look at it, it's really not much difference compared to what uh, then Prime Minister Ismail Sabri table end of 2022, right? And uh, Anwar, of course, he he has this, his narrative of uh, reform claims ever since the uh, 1997 with idea of hu- uh, humane economy and, and whatnot. But if you look at actual policies on the ground, there doesn't really seem to be uh, actual beat, beat concrete policies being implemented or even ideas of reforms about how the country go forward beyond the, the, the general buzzword like uh, tackling inequality or right. kind of things. So so we, we really don't get to see a lot of the actual, uh, even the ma- macro directions or micro actual policies being implemented by this supposedly reformed government. And I think that, which is why, you know, without without such direction being uh, put to the, to the fore, people are thinking, you know, uh, is the government bending a bit too much to the Amno faction demands? I, I broadly agree with you that they haven't actually done much thing of note when it comes to major economic reforms. It's not that they yeah, changing the economic structure into something more radical, completely different uh, direction or anything like that. It's pretty much status quo overall. Um, but they have made some social reforms um, in terms of like debt penalty, um, stocking, anti-stocking laws and, and whatnot. Um, in the law and institutional ministry seems to be moving very fast in that direction at least. But I'm very curious, Kevin, your, uh, on your thoughts about the uh, sort of um, corruption or anti-corruption um, reforms has um, Anwar done enough to to you know create a, a, a push for a system that will be more resilient towards corruption? Um, and how do you think he's striking that balance between you know talking about anti-corruption a lot, which is good and which is what he's been doing, but at the same time? He has people in his cabinet, you know, they, they are allegedly corrupt uh, and they are known for their corruption. Uh, the party is known for their corruption. Definitely you see uh, prominent high-profile uh, trials, corruption trials being investigated, mm-hmm. launched in the last few months, starting from one side, from Bursa to, to uh, former Prime Minister Mayuddin. Uh, so definitely, and the, in fact, I would say that the, probably the biggest reform in better commerce agenda they are pushing now is actually anti-corruption. Like what you mentioned, the economic side seems to be on the back burner, but the, the anti-corruption seems to be the, 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 the forefront of his reformist agenda. Right. Right? But I, I really don't know whether, you know, people uh, or, or, you know, or, or just, uh, because I, I think it's one thing for the you know, top politicians to be charged for corruption, but it's probably another thing to uh, institute uh, structural reforms that will enable the anti-corruption drive to be a lot more independent and neutral. So what I mean by that is that uh, we all know that the AGC, uh, Attorney General, comes under the uh, Prime Minister Department, right? And that hasn't changed. So that has right. been something Malaysia always had since the 90s when Mahathir, you know, and even now in Anwar. So I think without the this, this fundamental shift to make your MACC or AGC uh, more independent, more neutral. Uh, you know the, the 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 perception can always be that this anti-corruption drive is solely used for political gains, basically for partisan uh, advantages. So I I mean definitely there has been more corruption cases being 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 launched, but um, you know I think it's probably a bit more valuable for or for example even for the parliament 
uh, select committee, right, to, to have a bit more of that independent oversight in terms of appointment of, for example, MACC chairman or even like uh, uh, maybe related to investigation or corruption trial cases. But you don't see these legal reforms being happening. It's just that there'd be more people being charged. And I think that itself probably isn't so sufficient in showing that uh, one is uh, that genuinely committed towards anti-corruption. And if I can also go to another point, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I think like what you mentioned, there has been some uh, legal reforms by this unity government, including uh, the abolition of the mandatory death penalty. So of course, death penalty still exists, just that it's not mandatory for right. certain cases. Now, it's probably an important distinction. Uh, but the, the thing is that it's, it's also similar to what uh, Pakatan Harapan did in 2018, right? So 2018 back then, PH government implemented Undi 18 and AVR. So PH has been, given that, them the credits, they've been pretty active in fulfilling their uh, promises in terms of legal reforms. But I think what uh, in general Malaysians are most concerned about is really the economic reform side, which is like cost of living, dismantling of monopolies, probably even aid approval permits. And these are the things which has been uh, lagging behind and hasn't been really catch up, up, up to mark to, to what the promises are. And uh, which is why I, I think that legal reforms, even no matter how good they are, like be even anti-corruption, is not going to be the key deciding factor in, for people when it comes to elections, actually. On the show with me today is Kevin Zhang. He's a Senior Research Officer at the Malaysian Studies Programme at ICS Yusof Ishak Institute. We'll continue this discussion after the break. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashun Johan and on the show with me today is Kevin Zhang. He's a Senior Research Officer at the Malaysian Studies Programme, ICS Yusof Ishak Institute. And we're talking about the current administration's task of balancing their anti-corruption agenda while being somewhat cosy with a political party that is largely known for corruption. So, Kevin, Kairi Jamaluddin, um, in, in a recent podcast, Kluas Kejab, um, he, that he does with Shari Lamdan, he recently said that YB Azalina Othman is a solid minister, but when it comes to AMNO, she's a Zahid apologist. What do you make of this and the very fluid and nuanced dynamics within the Karajan Madani administration right now? I think Kairi does, is, is speaking quite a factual point in that I think on law matters, you know, um, she's certainly a professional and competent. But just that when it comes to party stance, like, uh, you know, in relation to, for example, she made some comments recently on uh, the investigation of Judge Naslan by MACC, right? But when it comes to certain matters, then it does seem like, eh, uh, why is she, like, seems to be more pro-favoring the party line that Sahib has, of course, uh, championed for. So I, I think this is just uh, uh, the the the... I guess what Amno is facing, which is that if you are current Amno minister, you are probably like decided upon or approved by Zahid, and therefore there's a need to toe the party line. I think that's just inevitable given how the uh, post purge that has happened recently, uh, up, you know, basically Amno from the top up, up to like even the minister's level, they have to toe the party lines quite carefully, and I think that's that's probably a given, right? Given what has, has happened to those who didn't toe the party lines. There have been a lot of discussions about what 
the people will accept of Pakatan Harapan and and by a larger extent the the so-called um, unity government, the, the mixed coalition government. There's been a lot of chatter about where's the line, what are the lines that can be crossed, what will taint um, the image, what will bolster the image, so on and so forth. Um, Kevin, life and politics are often about trade-offs. Do you think people would accept Prime Minister Najib walking free if if that's what happens? if it means the stability of the government? I'm guessing it's really implicitly in the people's mind when the G15 results was out. So back then you had PH getting 80 overseas, Pritatan having about 70 overseas, and I think BN um, no had about 30 overseas. So when, when the election result was out, there was a really an implicit kind of understanding that I, I'm guessing among the, the, the non-Malay, especially Chinese voters, even on the night of GE results coming out, there was a really implicit understanding that for, 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 for PH to be in government, you either have to work with PN, which would represent a bit more of the right-wing Islamist conservatism, right. or Amlo, right, which includes Zahid and Najib. So I think that has been like on people's mind in the last few months. It's just that with all this uh, recent incidences going on, it's been like brought to the fore. Uh, and I... I mean, I, I think it's, a really a, it's about an ethical question about how do you look at power, right? Do mm-hmm. you want a power for power's sake? So is it a means to an end or is it just an end itself? If it's, if it's just a means to an end, then, you know, no, it doesn't really matter what, whatever new you approach, right? As long as you get the outcome, which, which is a, basically a PH. Supporters who want their, their PH government to be in place. But if you're talking about more of that normative idea of what the government means, uh, anti-corruption, then I think this would be a bit hard to stomach. But it seems that Malaysia politics moving forward, you will have these three coalitions and none of the coalitions would be able to get more than half of the majority. So it's I, I really don't know, but I suspect many people, when given comparison between BN, Prikatan, or a BN, I think many would probably accept what BN is. You know, while... Pakatan Harapan has, you know, from the 1998 when, when Anwar got sacked, the beginning of the reformacy movement, um, opposition went from strength to strength. Um, obviously, there were ups and downs. 2008 was a massive milestone. But it was the Najib saga, the 1MDB saga that really propelled um, the momentum to the next level, which ultimately led to um, the 2018 election results. So Harapan's branding, um, some might say, is in a way tied to the 1MDB saga. But the thing is, right, corruption is not just about one of few individuals. Like you mentioned earlier, you said that you know, in terms of people getting charged, the MACC is, is working full throttle right now, right? So every other day you hear some news about some investigation and all, and, and that's great. But more than that, it's about creating a system, about creating a legislation to prevent all these kinds of um, things from happening in the future. So with that in mind, do you think Pakatan Harapan can maintain or grow their support if they overhaul the system, like you alluded to? Let's say they come up with proper legislation. Let's say they really um, you know, make um, parliament stronger. They make MACC stronger. They separate the powers of the pro- public prosecutor and the attorney general chambers. All of these things, let's say it's done. And then, but at the same time, the likes of um, Zaid Hamidi walks free, the likes of Najib walks free, for example. How do you think that will impact Pakatan Harapan's support? 
in other words, you're asking, right, whether can there be a general amnesty for at least people belonging to a certain parties for the corruption that happened before a certain year. I think on this point, we probably can use Hong Kong as an example. So mm-hmm. as we know, Hong Kong, when it was under the British colonial rule, there was you know, pretty rife corruption. And what happened was that there was a, a anti-corruption agency set up during some, sometime during the 70s or 80s. And the uh, condition was that, you know, from this date onwards, you know, we will not prosecute crimes that is committed before this date, but from this date onwards, corruption would be severely punished. And that's how Hong Kong from a relatively corruption rhythm place moving up so much within the last 30 years to become a, one of the, the most clean and transparent, at least in the East Asia region. Right. So I think that's one approach we can try to understand things. It's like, do we want to give this general amnesty for uh, past leaders, you know, especially those who are currently in the government. I'm not sure how much appetite there is for this uh, amnesty, though, given that the sums involved what is one MDB is, is pretty sta- staggering right. amount. Uh, but I think you also brought up another point is that, which you mentioned is about legislation making MACC more independent. But I'm not sure whether all this thing would come to a, a, a intended outcome as long as at present, how the political parties are being financed, right? So we do know that in Malaysia, it costs a lot to run elections, from organizing dramas to the walkabouts to giving people free food. And there's an expectation among the voters when it comes to election that you are supposed to give them one-to-one for that back towards whatever that means, right? So um, without that kind of political financing, which is why I think it's highly important that the current parliament passes that act in order to restrict... Uh, or at least to to better regulate party financing, but without better financing in terms of how political party conduct and run their election campaigns, I think all other things, be it like corruption and uh, even the, the the highest levels for things like uh, one MDB would not have would not be resolved precisely because the, a lot of this corruption is precisely used to fund parties to win and to 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 conduct elections. Sometimes there's an anything but perikatan national mindset among politicians currently in government as well as their supporters, right? They always, whenever a criticism is dished out towards them, they ask, you know, but what, are you going to ex- are you going to vote for perikatan national? Um, are you going to accept perikatan national? And so on and so forth. This is the mindset. But is that how the wider population thinks as well? That, you know, they will close one eye to, to the mistakes of this current government um, because the other side is perikatan national? and the bigger goal is to keep Perikata National at bay. Is that how the masses think? I, I think there's a really complex question and uh, maybe I'll address it from a few angles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like what you said about five minutes ago, um, the rise of BN, a lot of it, at least in 2008, uh, maybe at the, the, the start of the rise of uh, Pakatan, was basically people had this anything but BN mindset. Right. right? Maybe, uh, back then, PASS was in... Uh, Pakatan rap, yeah. right? And even the Chinese was voting for pass if pass contested in their area because their idea was that you know we just want anything but BN. And now it seems that now that BN has declined and they're in this unity government and people want to say oh yeah, anything but Pakatan. I'm not sure whether this kind of mindset is helpful because it's always right. a bit of that negative campaigning. You know, instead of selling what a party or coalition is able to offer, it's more like saying that what we are not like, which. If you look at Malaysia last in the last five, 10 years, I think people are generally disappointed at the current kind of uh, political situation because this kind of negative campaigning isn't really focusing about your strength, but it's just about bringing down the other opponents and it, it doesn't offer that much, in, 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 especially on the longer term basis. 
I think it's also a bit dangerous to uh, if Pakatan supporters actually go down that route to frame it anything but Pakatan National because let's not forget that Pakatan National does have quite genuine support uh, among the Malays. Right? Absolutely. So if the discourse becomes like anything but Pakatan, I'm sure that it's, it's quite easy for Pakatan side to frame that. Well, then we should be anything but AMNO and PH because they are just corrupt, right? You know, so this is a just bunch of corrupt people, especially if they are from the ethnic minorities group supporting this corrupt Zahi situation. So it's the, the framing has to be more than anything but. It's more should be like, you know, what I can offer you. You know, maybe I can offer you, you know, better policies. And it has to be concrete actual policies rather than saying that, you know, look, that person has done so badly, so give me a chance. I think this kind of framing has been Malaysia in the last, probably since 2008. And you see a lot of this kind of, perhaps this is also one reason why you have so much fluidity because you know, it's easy for anyone to say that, you know, I'm not like that person, but when you're really in power, you know, then what, what can you really offer? And I think that's what has been shown in the last few changes of government. Putting aside Pakatan Harapan in this, right, is AMNO as, as an organisation, as a political party, making, you know, miscalculations? And, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, AMNO is not on reform mode, at least um, not towards a, a certain progressive direction, broadly speaking, because that's what the trends, who they suspended, who they sacked, and, and so on and so forth. It is more of a party that is closing the ranks um, around um, Zahid's camp. At least that is the perception that many have. I'm wondering if this is even beneficial, forget to Pakatan Harapan and, and the Kerajaan Madani, is it even beneficial to AMNO Because AMNO's support is waning. And one of the reasons their support is waning is because of the Najib, 1MDB, Zahid corruption factor. In fact, if you look at even the results of Pekan, right, the results of Pekan in GE15, yes, AMNO won, but they have drastically, their support has gone from like around 70 to 80% in GE13. GE14, it went down to 60-something percent um, and Najib contested. This time, Najib didn't contest uh, because, you know, he's in prison. Someone else contested and that support dropped down to 50%. And Perikata National's um, support in Pekan really growing, going from strength to strength. It's probably a bit hard to say for now because um, there's... I guess there's party consolidation on some levels is necessary given right. the AMNO was uh, fractured ever since the 1MDB broke out, right? So back then you have Muidin going over to Basatu and you have uh, even the Ismail Sabri Zahid dynamics going on. And so I, I guess in a way that consolidation was inevitable and you could even say that it's helpful for the party hmm. uh, uh, because especially in Malaysia, I guess, you know, the uh, fragmented party does not really go very far because after a while there's, I think one of the key reasons why Amno did badly in GE15 was because of all of this infighting and uh, the warlords uh, maybe who were dropped not helping their party in their campaigns, right? You see that in Perlis, even down south in uh, Kelantan and in Johor for the matter. But the point being that uh, it is also about how Zahid uses his power given that now Amno is pretty much probably one of the most consolidated party in Malaysia compared to other parties or coalitions. How does Zahid use his power to conduct reforms? And I think this is where uh, we haven't really heard much about it, at least not publicly. But assuming that if Zahid uses this power well to reform, to re-energize AMNO, I think there's a chance that you know maybe AMNO can once again be the choice, at, at least among the, the, the Malay voters. Uh, but really this next about 
half a year leading up to state election and, and, and one year or so will be critical to see whether can AMNO provide a new narrative forward or is it just going to be a Zahid's vehicle party which would be embroidered in would you know would it even be embroidered in more corruption all right Kevin before we wrap this conversation up would you have some final thoughts or a final message for us I think what is probably a bit more concerning is that on the key issues that people are focused upon like cost of living uh, stagnant wages uh, there hasn't been really that much reforms right and I mean I, I think there's one thing that Malaysians always refer to is that oh you know corruption was not new in Najib's time you know it happened even in a previous prime minister but at least back in the 80s and 90s there was better economic growth I mean whether corruption happens or not there's a perception but the, the perception back then was that you know we can live with corruption if there was better economic growth right if you know the rising tight lifts all boards. But I think what the issue is in the Malaysia in the last 10, 15 years, most people, especially the middle class and B40, feel stagnant while this kind of large-scale corruption con continues unabated. So I'm not commenting whether this kind of perception of tolerating corruption as long as the economic growth, I'm not sure whether that's a really good mindset, but that's how I think the general sentiment has been. But the thing is that you are not seeing a lot of uh, economic new policies being pushed out even under the current Madani government. You know, even things like the minimum wage kind of thing, a, a lot of it has actually been either implemented or raised when BN was in power, right? So right. When he was in Prime Minister, he was the one who actually implemented minimum wage and Ismail Sabri was the one who improved, increased it to uh, 1,005. Whereas when Mahathir was the PM, he said that, you know, we, we can't increase minimum wage to our manifesto. If not, we'll chase away investors. So I think I think that these are the fundamentally the economic issues and if the economic issues does not improve significantly under this current unity government, I think this is where the real political contest would lie and you will have the opposition you know, saying that you know, we can do a better job in economic performance. I think this is where the, probably the real battle lies and not so much about the anti-corruption actually. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Dashran. My pleasure. That was Kevin Zhang. He's a Senior Research Officer at the Malaysian Studies Programme at ICS Yusof Ishak Institute. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You just have to look up Beyond the Ballot Box podcast. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.